Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And I do got a couple of notes here to chime in on. We're going to be waiting for George Landreth, who will be joining me a little, uh, hopefully fairly shortly. He's uh, working on a couple of projects, but he mentioned that he will be with us in a very short period of time. Now, I do want to kind of, you'll probably wonder where Coco Kronsky is. Well, Coco is unable to join us tonight, and she'll be unable to join us next week. Uh, her boyfriend has had some serious issues with uh, his back, and it, you know, it, I know for a while they were even looking at possible surgery, but they're going to basically try to do some physical therapy. But he can't get into his uh, a, a physical therapy until uh, – Tell about let's say it looks like June the ninth. So, so for the next couple of weeks, she's basically taking care of her boyfriend and kind of attending to all of his needs. So we're going to be and so that yeah. So we just want to kind of touch base with that. So that will be coming up shortly. Uh, so June the fifteenth, she does plan to be back. On June the 15th, the Tuesday edition of the Donaldson Files, hopefully we'll include Coco Konski. Until then, uh, we'll, we'll struggle without her. And uh, we'll, as I stated, we're waiting for, I guess I, I know George Landry is, will be joining us fairly shortly. Uh, uh, so, But in the meantime, what we're going to do here is we're going to cover some very interesting areas that I'm going to discuss with uh, George, uh, and I'm going to begin here with this story. Uh, American you know, knows booze sales until mass mandates, except in business and first class. Now, here's the thing. Uh, first of all, number one, you know, I just got finished, you know, last week I was at the airport and, and flew on American, by the way, and the thing is, uh, they don't sell booze on the plane. In fact, you can't even get – you get basically a glass of water and a and a bag of pretzels, maybe. Uh, maybe you'll get that. That's pretty much it. And 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 basically – I'll tell you, I mean, here's the thing. I understand, you know, the airlines are in a situation where, okay, this is, you know, where we're at. I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is where we're at. I understand. But, you know, when you've been vaccinated, which I have, careless less whether the guy next to me or the woman next to me has a mask or does a mask because it's irrelevant. I'm protected. And, but, you know, you have a situation where, I mean, there were times in the, the flight, like one flight was like three hours, the other one two hours. And I'm like thinking to myself, uh, 
you know, I, I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, it gets kind of hot and it gets kind of, you know, uncomfortable when you, you know, when you wear the mask. And there were times in which literally I would take it out just so I can breathe. And of course, there was at least one of the couple of those times when I'm doing this, you know, I'm getting my breath, you know, kind of some of the CO2, uh, not have it masked into me. And, you know, the, you know, the stewardess was like, put your mask on, put your mask on. Yeah, I feel like just you know, and I even I even had in my briefcase my official packet that says I've been vaccinated. I almost felt like here I've been vaccinated. Leave me alone. And it's the same thing in the airports. You see people all over the place with masks on, even when they're not even anywhere close to each other. And I guess maybe it's time for the airlines to start getting caught up the latest science. And, but I, I was intrigued by this story uh, about American Airlines because here's the thing. If you're in, you know, if you're in the regular, you know, the, if you're in class, you know, where I always tend to fly, uh, I tend to fly, uh, you get nothing, no booze, no nothing. You know, like I say, you get a glass, of, you get some water, and you get for pretzels. The people in the first class, they get the booze, they get the special treatment, and I'm thinking to myself, this is symbolic of everything we've gone through, and we're going to discuss this further, where certain people got privileges that the rest of us didn't get. They got away with things the rest of us didn't get. And George, welcome back on the show. I appreciate you coming on at the last minute. And Absolutely. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I'll tell you what, very briefly, uh, George is the president of the Frontier for Freedom. Uh, it's an organization that was started by the late Malcolm Wallop. And, and I'll tell you very briefly, uh, kind of tell us very briefly about the organization, uh, George, and then, we'll, then I'm going to get you into this conversation. Well, sure. Uh, Frontiers of Freedom, as you said, was, was founded by Malcolm Wallop. He was a friend of Ronald Reagan's, and so not shockingly, we sponsor a Ronald Reagan dinner in which we recognize, um, you know, people who provide leadership in, in the best traditions of Ronald Reagan. Our most recent uh, recipient was uh, actually before the pandemic, and it was uh, Senator Rand Paul. And uh, but uh, but the. Uh, you know, our, our our goal is to promote freedom and liberty wherever and however we can. In, in the foreign policy arena, that means peace through strength. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean war. Uh, it just means that uh, weakness is provocative and strength is the opposite. It basically dissuades people from testing you and trying things. So uh, the example is if you go to an NFL training facility, I think it's very unlikely you'll find a rash of uh, – of muggings occurring in the parking lot. And it's not because they're necessarily in the best part of town. It's simply because who wants to mug a guy who weighs 330 pounds and can bench press, you know, 250 pounds 25 times in his sleep. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's about targets of opportunity. And I think national security gives us the same lesson, which is if you look weak, and I think we've seen that with, uh, quite frankly, in the first few months of the uh, uh, Biden administration. He's looked weak, not that our military looks weak, but he does. And Hamas decided to 
uh, do things they would not have done in a different administration. So that's an example of where you know our agenda works. But but here at home, it means that we believe people should have more freedom and more say in their lives, and that power should be devolved from Washington towards uh, uh, home. You know, we are the ones that have to live with the decisions we make. When a bureaucrat makes a decision on our behalf, they don't really care about the outcome. It doesn't really matter that much. If it doesn't turn out well, oh, well, sorry, you know, maybe. Maybe you'll get a, a weak apology, and maybe you'll just get a tough luck, dude. But, you know, we make decisions in our lives because we're the ones who will get the benefit, and we're also the ones who will get the harm. So that's our agenda. That's who we are and how we see the world. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, we're, we're going to get more into that because you bring up a good, good point uh, because I'm going to – there was an editorial called The Truly Fraudulent President, and it made some very fascinating points. And look back into history as well where if you have a president who's not necessarily 100%, and there's a lot of you know, evidence I would sit back and say that Joe Biden is not playing at 100%. At this yeah. point, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think that's fairly clear. Not that his hundred percent was all that great to start with, because if you look back at his career, he's yeah. kind of always been a gaff a minute, um, even when he was sharp. But it's a little alarming to see kind of how, uh, you know, what a diminished Joe Biden is like. Yeah. Well, this is Tom Donaldson here. Donaldson Pond with George Landry. We'll be right back here on the Bachelor News Radio Network here on the Donaldson Files. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year, one in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Back here in the Donaldson Files with George Lambert. Don't forget uh, that you can listen to our show anytime on the podcast on the Bachelor News Radio Network.com. And, uh, and if you want to have, like I say, if you want to call in, you call in at 646 929 646-929-0130. And all right. Okay. I'm going to go back to the original thing I want to talk about because I was you know, getting on my soapbox. I, have, have you flown? When was the last time you flew, uh, George? 
Um, I, I flew just a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't drink, so it wasn't a big deal that they weren't offering anything. But it did strike me it was kind of a long flight. You know, it's mostly across the country. And, uh, you know, you got, you know, some water or maybe some, uh, you know, a soft drink and some pretzels. And not, nothing else was available. So if you'd missed grabbing lunch, uh, you know, sometimes you can, like, buy food. It's a little more expensive, and it may not be what you want on the plane. But it beats, you know that gnawing sense of I'm, you know, sometimes when you, you get moving around and your stomach's super empty, it kind of makes you feel queasy. And uh, so it's always nice when you can get a little something in your stomach. Not too much, but something. But yeah, not not available. But I do think it's kind of weird. We have set different sets of rules. I understand why in first class you might get free booze. I get that because their ticket costs more and so it's included in the price of the ticket. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about even if you wanted to pay for it, in uh, coach you can't have it and i think that's kind of interesting because they can get food in first class i understand it's free because they paid more but they used to provide these same services to the people in coach you just had to buy them but not now and uh so i'm trying to figure out is coach and this isn't science-based i mean we've been told for a year follow the science follow the science why don't you believe in science so show me the science that says that people who paid less for their ticket it's unsafe for them to drink alcohol or to have a meal on a plane or to drink something besides a glass of water. Of course, there is no such science. That's ridiculous. But um, and, and so it seems to me that COVID in some cases is being used as an excuse for poor customer service. Yeah, I don't know. I, mean, like I, said, I just flew uh, last week. Uh, you know, we, we flew to Reno uh, from Cedar Rapids. So basically means you have two trips. And the first time we flew to Salt Lake City before, you know, catching a plane to Reno, and it's like a three and a half. It's, I mean, you're on the plane for five hours. And the second place was you had to basically fly into Dallas, which was a three-hour flight, fly home, which is two hours. And I did, like I said, we weren't even offered food. I mean, you couldn't even buy anything unless you brought it on the plane. If you bought something, you could bring it on the plane. Yeah, Other no, you're the, exactly yeah. right. It's not available. If you but, tell them I missed my, I, I had a short layover. I did, couldn't. I had to rush here to get. I, I haven't had breakfast or lunch. Can I get a sandwich? I'll pay for it. They look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, and that yeah, used absolutely. to be available. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean, and and so, yeah, and, and so and so basically we got pretzels and water. That's it. Pretzel water. We didn't even get cokes or anything. And I'm at it. And I and I, I'm kind of like with you. I guess my point would be is this. You know, because we're going to discuss this even, you know, further down the line because uh, with some of our public officials. But here's the thing. You're absolutely right. Where's the science that says that the guys in first class, it's safer, you know, gets the booze and get have the meals. And everybody else, you get water. I mean, it's, I mean, I would even just like a Coke or a ginger ale. That would be nice. Yeah, it's not asking that much. And like I said, if it's safe for them to drink it, I understand they may not give it to you for free. And like I said, I don't drink, so I don't actually care that much. But 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 I understand yeah. the principle of historically, when I, I fly coach, and when I fly coach, if I'd wanted to, I could have purchased some alcohol to drink yeah. with my meal. And, uh, you know, and it doesn't come free, but I can buy it. Now you can't. Yeah. And it's like, but we're supposed to believe this is science-based. And I'm just like, yeah. I'm sorry. This you're being silly now. This is you know. Yeah. I don't yeah. insult my intelligence. Well, here's the thing: it comes into play because it comes down to, uh, because I wanted to kind of get. I mean, there was a 
laundry list of governors who set rules and don't follow the rules that they set for everybody else. Uh, yeah, that's kind of like example. the norm now. Make rules, don't is, follow said rules. Rules are yeah. for little people. Yeah, but here's the thing. I mean, this is the point. Okay, here's an example. Gina Romando is the governor of Rhode Island. And she had a why and paint night. At the time, she's telling everybody else, you stay home. <laughs> you know, there was At that time, there was a pause on the state reopening. And she's out there having a good time, right? Uh, of course, there's Gavin Newsom. We knew about him. I mean, he's sitting there meeting with, lawn, you know, with lobbyists at an expensive restaurant without a mask, I might add. In fact, every, nobody in this room had a mask. There was like 22 people in a room all sitting close together without a mask. I'd just like to know how many of those people got coronavirus. Uh, and then there's you know Gretchen Whitmore, who seems to be everywhere. I mean, I mean, if she gave her husband special treatment at the lake house, you know, when nobody was allowed to go to the lake, he went to the lake right. house. And, uh, and he gave this speech. You, you know who I am, right? You know who I, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm yeah. the governor's wife, you know, or husband, you know. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, okay, so the rules don't apply to you. So, yeah. It's like, you got to be kidding me. You know who I am. My brother told me that everybody in Boston has their John Kerry story. And I said, well, what does that mean? He says, he walks in and tells people, you know who I am, right? Meaning, I want special treatment. I want, you know, I want a reservation now, even though I don't have a reservation. You're crowded, you know, blah, blah, blah. He says, you know, that's the, everyone's used to this garbage. What is it about being a leftist lunatic that makes you think that you're special compared to everyone else? Well, here's the thing, too. Here's the thing, because here's the thing. She broke restaurant occupation rules. She got caught at a bar where nobody's read, you know, nobody's mad. She went down to Florida when she was telling nobody to travel. So, I mean, I mean she's a piece of work. Uh, and then, of course, Andrew Cuomo had a Thanksgiving dinner for his family after telling New Yorkers, uh, you're not allowed to go out for Thanksgiving. You know, this well, he is, also you know, faked hiding in his basement while he was, you know, so, there so were people was who – that, that, that was Oh, that's right. That's, you're right. I'm sorry. That's his brother. But, yeah, yeah Cuomo. But that's, that's par for the course. They pretend yeah. and virtue signal in public, but in real life – they don't follow the rules. They do what they want to do, but they pretend they're following the rules, and they try to shame others when they don't. And it's just like, well, I'm sorry, thing, this is yeah. this is, yeah, but but this is becoming the norm. Yeah. yeah, it's not just the norm, but here's the problem you run into is it's symbolic of something much deeper. I mean, we may get a laugh, for example, you know, uh, you know, out of these examples, I mean, these are just, you know, small things, but it's much more deeper to me is that you have a ruling class that, quite frankly, thinks they are above the law. It's not just in the you know, COVID, but, you know, pick a subject, pick an area. You know, you know, it's like they're above the law. You know, we'll make the laws, but we don't necessarily have to follow those laws. And there's a point somewhere where a society starts to crumble from within. And one aspect is when the leaders themselves do not lead by example, but instead do the complete opposite of what they demand of you. And in some cases, we're talking about, in the case of COVID, people were, you know, fined. Some people went to jail. Some people had to go to court. Yeah. 
to do these yeah. things, whether it's uh, showing up at church and it, and there's an so there's this aspect. How do, is a society and a leadership class are capable of ruling when they themselves make it clear we're not going to follow the very rules that we set? You're right, and, and and the rule of law, if nothing else, means that we're all the, the rules apply to us all. That was one of the rejections of the old rule where the kings were in charge. The kings, they could do whatever they wanted. They could rob. They could steal. They could kill. They could murder. They could do whatever they wanted because they were the king. And the rule of law was this cool idea that it didn't matter who you were. You had to follow the rules. And, that, and, and you know, so like in America, we talk about even the president isn't above the law. But evidently, governors are, you know, and it's just kind of interesting to me that, that that's the, the way they play the game. And I find it frustrating because, uh, you know, I'm an attorney. I've caught constitutional law, and to me, the rule of law is absolutely foundational to a free society. And yet I see it under assault daily by people who t- would tell us that they support you know, the idea of a free society and blah, blah, blah. But they don't. You know, because they don't support the rule of law. You can't tell me that you support a free society, when you know, a, a democratic republic, a constitutionally limited republic, when you don't even follow the rules. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, yeah, and this is the thing. I mean, the thing that comes in play is, like, you know, I, and I wanted to kind of leave this with people is that if, you know, you know, yeah, you know, I've written about this in my upcoming book about the leadership, you know, the, what I call the leadership class. And we've seen, in many ways, in my view, a complete collapse of this. And part of this is exactly that. You know, the rules and the laws are made, as they were saying, the little person, but not for me, not for D. And, and the question to me, and let's, let me throw it this way. You're a historian. You know, when do you see society you know, start to crumble when people no longer, you know, find that they believe in the rule, you know, believe in their leaders because they know that their leaders themselves don't believe in them or they set the separate rules. Uh, yeah, no, I, you're when, exactly right. That, that becomes a major stumbling block because, to be honest, the reason why society works is because out of the 330 million Americans, the vast majority just follow the rules. So you don't need a policeman to mind and make sure that Tom and George aren't robbing banks or running around breaking into houses because we just don't do that. And that's like, mo- you know, obviously 99.99% of your listeners, you know, follow the rules. And that makes it so society works. And society will stop working once everyone realizes that the rules are for suckers. The rules are for the chumps, you know, and, uh, and then all of a sudden – there is no number of police in the, you know, that can actually enforce all the rules perfectly unless you have an absolute police state like we saw, say, in the Soviet Union or you see in China where um, the people are oppressed and repressed. And that's not any direction we want to go. But that's kind of what happens. You, you go into a pretty quick slide once, um, you know, once the general pop- populace realizes that the rule of law is a joke. And it's just a line that, uh, you know, that politicians giggle about behind our backs. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, here, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely you – because know, here's the thing. I, um, I saw a very fascinating uh, – what I would call a very interesting tweet by a good friend of mine. And he, and he kind of put it this way. He said, do you ever 
sometimes I get the feeling that the people who govern us really don't like us. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I think that, yeah. I mean, if, if you didn't get that impression when you listened to someone like Barack Obama speak, then you weren't paying attention. He had just utter contempt for the average American and for America in general. He made that clear over and over and over again. And, uh, and I think, you know, I listen to politicians speak, and it's, it bothers me to listen to these guys who clearly do not respect the public and do not believe in the public and think of them as little people. And uh, I, Senator Wallop always used to say that uh, you could tell the difference between somebody who sees himself as your ruler versus perhaps your governor. And you govern people differently than you rule over them. And I feel like we have people who want to rule us, and they see us as their well, subjects. Yeah. Hold on, Tom Dawson with uh, the Dawson Files, George Landreth, here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me on 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome back to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Also, you can listen to the Bachelor News Radio Show with L.A. Bachelor. If you want discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, uh, tune in um, on this network Monday and Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, don't forget following this show every Tuesday will be You and the Law with Chief Keith Humphrey and Chief Virgil Green. Um, has all this conversation about law enforcement and the relationship with the black and brown communities. You can listen to that every Tuesday, 7, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Block Talk Radio Network. Uh, and if you want to be a sponsor of this show, uh, just remember, just call in. I mean, what you need to do is labachelor40 at gmail.com, labachelor40 at gmail.com, and we will get a sales team out to get the right kind of deal for you. Uh, now we're back here with uh, George Landreth. He was the president of Frontier for Freedom, uh, an organization started by the late Senator Wallop. Uh, now let me ask you a quick question here, George, before I, we continue. Did this used to be based in Wyoming, which is where he, uh, which he was a senator from? Um, well, we always had an office in Wyoming, but our main headquarters was always in the D.C. area simply because yeah. so much of uh, national politics, of course, occurs in Washington. But, um, you know, and, but since we believe the idea that uh, state and federalism and <coughs> local and state governments uh, have a role to play, we had a number of uh, yeah. 
you know, state and, and uh, regional offices um, over the, uh, quite frankly, over, the, you know, because of the pandemic and uh, other, you know, downturns and even, quite frankly, because of partly the uh, Obama administration used the IRS to wage war on conservatives, and we were one of the victims there. Um, we had to we had to downsize some of those operations, um, but uh, but yeah, that's I mean his his home state was Wyoming, and uh, it's a beautiful state. But and and the truth is, freedom doesn't always. Uh, I think most of the enemies of freedom may be in Washington, but freedom doesn't generate from Washington. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, now back to the conversation uh, is that you know you make the point uh, you know govern and being ruled. I think that's a fascinating point because I've always said to myself, you know, you know, our public officials are in many ways, they're the servant of the people. They are not our rulers. And we do live in a world today in which they behave as the rulers, which goes back to the examples we were talking and I've been talking about where you literally have, you know, individuals who make the rules and then they'll abide by the very same rules that they are making for the rest of us. Uh, but I think it's a very important distinction that people need to understand, and public officials need to understand. And we, I should put it this, we need to insist that this is what our public officials do. If you're not going to behave this way, it certainly is one reason why they should not be in office to begin with. Uh, your thoughts? Well, I agree. I mean, I think we should look around. My my view would be is anybody who engaged in these unlawful shutdowns and mandates um, should be driven from public office. They have no right to, to – and you could say, well, but they didn't know at the time. And my answer would be they clearly demonstrated totalitarian instincts. They are not to be trusted with power, and I don't care what party they are. If they were Republican, I feel the same way. Uh, we obviously saw a lot more of that on the other side, but that's because that's part of their ideology. But the bottom line is, my view is, I only want to trust people with power who understand that that power is A, limited, and B, only to be used within the confines of the Constitution and under a framework where personal liberty and freedom are honored and respected. And uh, and the people who were doing these things clearly transgressed all of those things, and there's no reason why they should ever again be given the opportunity to do so. They can go ahead and get a job somewhere. They can lobby if they want. They could, you know, I, I'm not saying they have to be unemployed. I'm saying they should not be employed as our leaders or as our representatives that have power to make public policy because they've made it clear they don't appreciate the foundational elements that are required to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Which leads me to the other subject I wanted to get into because there was an interesting essay uh, by Issues and Insights, which is the uh, and uh, and, and certainly here's uh, what I kind of start off with this way. Uh, early in the Joe Biden presidency, we wonder if his wife Jill was running the White House in effect the country. It may still be out of the not out of the country. A question, but it's beginning to look like that the chief of staff will incline, unelected, not confirmed by the Senate, is the real president. This should make Americans feel uncomfortable. Now, obviously, Iran Klein has been with Joe Biden for years. He was the chief of staff when Joe Biden was the vice president. But 
the interesting aspect here is we've seen is that what are we really truly witnessing? Because you know, I, I look at Joe Biden, and there are times when I see this man live, and I say, and I remember, you know, you know and I say to myself, you know, is this guy playing with a full deck? There are times in which you watch this guy, and you're just like, he, you know, forgets words, he slurs his words, he doesn't always have stays on script. There are times in which he makes some really, like most recently, that statement about the nine-year-old girl, say, boy, you look like you're 19. <laughs> uh, and we've had this before. Interesting enough, under hmm. similar circumstances, uh, uh, during the Spanish flu pandemic at the end of World War One. Well, Will yeah. Wilson was in Camp Pasadena with a with a a serious stroke. His wife and close advisors were essentially running the White House. Not even the VP was fully aware of what was truly happening. I mean, he was not even in the loop. And yeah. and we're and are we seeing the same thing? I mean, you've watched Joe Biden for a long time. You know, I've had a chance to, you know, watch him from afar. You've been watching from a closer position. First, I want to ask you this question. Have you, you know, and, and, and I know we're talking about the guy who, let's say, mediocrity was always his best. At his best, he was mediocre. Yeah. But, you look at the, but you look at the way he speaks today, and you compare, let's say, you know, I saw him the other day on Jon Stewart. They had like a, a, a thing where he was on Jon Stewart, uh, the Comedy Central show. The, day, the the Daily Show, and quite frankly, you know, he sounded sharp. He was funny. You know, there was a totally different Joe Biden. And even if you go back to the debates in two thousand eight, two thousand twelve, you know, you saw a different Joe Biden that I'm witnessing today. Now you've seen him much closer than I have. So yeah, no, I think you, there's no doubt of that. I mean, he, like, um, and my understanding of uh, you know the if you will, the onset of, uh, you know, certain, uh, you know, dementia or other sorts of things, you have your up days and your down days. And so there are times where he sounds substantially less, co- you know, cognitive than other days. And uh, some days he sounds, you know, like a rough facsimile of the former Joe Biden. And other days he sounds like a hollowed out version of Joe Biden. But uh, what makes me nervous about all of this is, to be honest, is I thought Joe Biden was barely qualified to be a U.S. senator uh, in terms of uh, his intellect, and uh, he's not the tar- sharpest tool in the shed. And the funny thing is, is he knows he's not, because if you track many of his political lies, they have been about how smart he is. Now, why would a man lie about his intelligence? Because he knows he's not, and he's trying to cover for it the same reason why the man who just robbed the bank lies to you about where he was 10 minutes ago, right? He's trying to hide something that he knows is true. And, um, but I, I, so my, I, I just find it troubling, I guess, that we have a man who at his best was incredibly mediocre and average and at his worst seems to be well below that. And, uh, you know, and I, you look around the world and, I believe that you know Iran, Hamas, others, you know Putin, China, they've all taken note. They understand what's going on and they're laughing at America. 
because we elected a man who can't stand up to them, who doesn't have the mental acuity to deal with them. And he surrounded himself with, uh, you know, Svengali's who don't seem to care about standing up to them. So we've got a real problem on our hands, and that is this, uh, this projected weakness. And it's not – nothing good will come of it. Let's put it that way. Nothing good will come of it. China will advance its cause. So will Hamas. So will Iran. So will, you know, and these are all people who are enemies of freedom around the globe and here. In other words, they're not just harming others. They intend to harm us. And uh, so it's not just Americans who have the potential to suffer because of his poor leadership. Around the globe, there are people who will suffer because of Joe Biden and the fact that we elected a man who's not up to the job. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, because there's a point you, you – the beginning of the show, because I think this is, is interesting because with the attack of Hamas on Israel. And the interesting aspect that comes into play here is, first of all, number one, Hamas is a proxy for Iran. And let's be clear. I mean – it's not I mean Iraq, Hamas is a proxy for Hamas. So they are essentially part of Iran. Uh they're armed by Iran, they're supported by Iran, money uh you know you know slips into their pocketbook from Iran. And my question you know, and you made an interesting point. I want you to kind of follow up on the point that you made earlier. Namely do you think that they would have done this if Trump was president under the circumstances? Or are they is this part of a major chess because you know I mean Joe Biden is basically all but begging to restart the nuclear you know, the deal that you know Trump basically put in you know, put totally on hold. I mean right. they know and they know this. No, absolutely. You know, um you know yeah, you're exactly right. These are folks that are testing this president to see exactly how far they can go. That's what, quite frankly, that's what bullies do. They test, and um, they're testing him. You know, there's prob- they probably tested uh, Donald Trump in the early days of his presidency, but he passed those tests by being strong and resolute and by not issuing silly statements about red lines in the sand and so forth and then not doing anything and demonstrating that you know you could laugh off whatever he said they started to realize okay and you know he did things you know he was tough on putin in terms of all kinds of things our stance in in uh, syria our um some of the retaliations that we took in syria the um the the, the um financial uh, restrictions and, and sanctions that we placed on Russia and, uh, and other things. You know, same thing with Iran and you go, same with China. He was tough on China. China had to be hoping like crazy that Joe Biden would win this election because it was their only way out. He was, he was squeezing them. He was making it very difficult for them to execute their plan. And, uh, and so what did we do? We bailed them out. We bailed out China. And every single person who voted for Joe Biden is going to have to accept that fact. I mean, I, you and I didn't do it. But the fact is, is Hamas, Iran, Putin, and China all breathed a huge sigh of relief the day that Joe Biden was sworn in. 
and uh, it, they knew they had some room to operate. They knew they could, uh, you know, it was no longer going to be uh, this difficult challenge with a president that wouldn't put up with their shenanigans. All of a sudden, now they knew they had a president who put up with lots of shenanigans and that they would have a lot of operating room. And guess what? They're doing it. And that's just how it works. It was, it was you know, the, the, the phrase was coined during the Reagan years, peace through strength. Strength dissuades the bad guys. And weakness is provocative. It's just it's it's as true as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Yeah, hold it's on a now, truism. This is Tom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hold on, Tom. This is uh, Tom Donaldson with George Landworth of the Frontier for Freedom here on the Bastion News Radio Network. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse. Let's go, guys. Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? <laughs> of course, I. I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> wow, jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. <laughs> oh, yeah? yeah? Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh. I- didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome back to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Don't forget uh, some of the other great shows, the Bachelor News Radio Show featuring L.A. Bachelor that talks about uh, politics, social issues, racial issues. And following this show on this network tonight is You and the Law. And tomorrow night you have the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom. Uh, So great programming. And and if you go to the BachelorNewsRadioNetwork.com, guess what else? You can listen to this podcast at any time. And before we go any further, you also have your own little podcast, uh, Conservative Commandos. Yes, sir. Yeah, Conservative Commandos um, are um, they can, you can get you can download rebroadcast your podcasts at um, at ccrshow.com, and of course it's um, you know it's broadcast over you know regular radio towers uh, you know in wherever the markets, you know, around the country, but not everywhere. So for many of our viewers and listeners, it's a, uh, it's a podcast experience, but. Yeah, okay. So let's do that again. CC. CCR show, which stands for conservative commandos radio show, ccrshow.com. It's also a television show, so you can download a video if you want, but it started off as a radio show and we got uh, a television network to pick up the show. Um, we decided to just stick with the same name and not change it. <laughs> so I'm sure our, yeah. our TV viewers are going, why do they call this a radio show? <laughs> well, I, well, yeah, absolutely. Of course, I've been on the show myself, so I've always uh, 
and I've always enjoyed being on the show. It's a great show. So oh, yeah. it's, no, it's a lot of fun to have you on the show. In fact, I would argue yeah. that one of the things that makes the show great is we have a great guest like Tom Donaldson, quite frankly. That's the guests are what make the show. It's not George. Yeah. Well, I'd like to say thank you very much, and we always enjoy having you on this show. Okay, back, now, back to where we were. Uh, again, I mean, strength, I mean, you, you made the point. Strength, I mean, weaknesses add fuel to the fire. It gives the enemy a hope that they can push the agenda forward. And I, and I think that that's a good point here. And I also think, you know, to me, uh, uh, you know, again, I mean, you, you look at what's happening today, and we're going to go into the, another subject, namely the origin of the coronavirus. Or can we now say the origin of the Wuhan virus? Can we now go <laughs> <Yeah>. back. <laughs> yeah. Because the funny thing is, because, they act like there's new science out there, but there's actually no new science. All of this was known at the time. It was all pretty obvious. The most obvious explanation was because we knew about uh, the uh, we knew about workers that worked at the lab who were sick. We'd heard those you know we heard people that were Chinese that kind of like dissidents, if you will, who were whistleblowers and spoke and told us um, they've since of course disappeared, which means they were punished by the repressive regime for telling the truth. But the bottom line is. We, we knew all of this, and yet basically it was not allowed to be talked about. And the reason for that is pretty obvious, is if China was to blame, then it couldn't be used as, as well as an, as an issue against President Trump. They needed for it to not be China's fault, and they needed to be able to blame Donald Trump as much as possible for every death that occurred. And you'll notice that we got body counts every single night. And guess when they stopped? When Joe Biden was elected. And all of a sudden, he's inaugurated. And, you know, literally tens of thousands of people have died since he uh, became president. And guess what? We don't get a body count. We don't get regular counts on that. It's now not a story. And that's how it works on everything. Homelessness, when there's, when there's a, a, a Republican in the White House, we hear endless stories about the numbers of homeless. As soon as it's a Democrat, those stories go away. It's no longer a problem. You know, you saw that with uh, the, uh, you know, kids in cages. Wasn't a problem when Barack Obama was president. Donald Trump becomes president. It's a problem again. And then, of course, it goes away when Mr. Biden's president. The media doesn't want to talk about it. And uh, so, you know, it's just there's this level of mendacity that's just beyond the pale. If this is not bias. Bias is subtle. Bias is, you know, often in how you, you know, word choice and things like that. This isn't about that. This is just out and out propagandizing and lying. And, uh, and it's unfortunate because in a free society, we need a free press that tells us the truth so we can hold those in power accountable. And I often joke that if you want to have accountable government, you have to vote Republican because that's the only people the press will hold accountable. Every other person yeah. that's elected will not be held accountable. They just won't. And so if you want accountable government, vote Republican, even if you're a Democrat. <laughs> Well, at least if nothing else, if you want accountable media, vote Republican. Yeah, that's certainly yeah. – but 
Yeah, well, yeah, here's the interesting thing, because here's, to me, the, I mean, there's several stories on all of it, but to me, the big story is several stories. But but here's some of the points that, to me, we should be fearful of. Uh, first of all, number one, we don't know the origin of the virus. And when people like Tom Cotton said, you know, why don't we investigate the possibility? He never stated it was a fact, only that right. it's something worth investigating because there was some science that pointed in that direction, even last year. Right. Yeah, what just, evidence we right. had pointed in that direction. None of the evidence pointed in another direction, but we didn't have conclusive evidence. But you're right. So the yeah. only plausible explanation, given what we knew, was China. But we didn't have conclusive evidence. And yet it would, that was viewed as racist and uh, conspiracy theory and all kinds of crazy talk when – if they really were serious about following the science, then Tom Cotton was right. Let's follow the science. Let's dig a little deeper and see if this is, in fact, what you know what appears to be the case is, in fact, the case. Yeah, and that's the I mean, and the thing that comes into play is that a people like Tony Fauci and others, and we will get into this, in my view, played along. I mean, they did play. I mean, they basically said, "Oh no, there's no way this this is all natural. This is no way that." You know, the Chinese would do such a thing. We're now finding out there's a good reason that uh, Tony Fauci and others also had some skin in the game deal with the laboratory. Which was, but my point would be is that if indeed this is the case, to me, what's I mean, what's interesting is this: number one, we now know that they were doing what people classify as gain of function research. Uh, what this essentially means is. They create super viruses with, quote, unquote, the idea of finding cures or trying to, let's say, study how a virus gets from a bat to humans or that kind of a virus and, and so on down the line. They're basically playing with the viruses. That's what the research is. Of course, the logical right. conclusion, to me, the, I mean, my first, my logical conclusion when I'm certain thing about this you know, that this research is going on. So it's even more logical, these viruses, with the idea of using some kind of a biological warfare. I mean, I mean you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what is the rationale? I mean, I know what the rationale they tell us is, uh, but, you know, tell us is that, oh, you know, we're going to find cures, or we're going to find treatment, or we're going to better understand, you know, how viruses come from, you know, animals to humans from the wet market to humans and maybe find cures and treatments beforehand, or at least have an idea of some of the genetic makeup. So we can find, let's say, cures or vaccines or whatever the case may be. And, and, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, and I want you to kind of think about this, is that if the Chinese are incapable of keeping this virus in their laboratory, should we know that? You know, should the world well, be aware yeah. of the fact that there's well, some security issues here? Go and ahead. there are security issues there. The times that they've been uh, looked at into by international groups, they've been ranked as a two, a two out of four. So four would be the most secure facility that follows the you know the most significant and you know serious safety protocols. Three would be pretty good, but not fabulous. Two would be below average, and like one is, you know, like you and I in our basement, uh, you know, 
with you know, no safety precautions at all except for the outer walls of our home type thing. You know what I mean? It's just like – so yeah. it's not a very serious run operation, and yet – and I think that's why Fauci didn't want to admit funding it. That's why he didn't want to admit what he was doing because it was reckless. You wouldn't – you know, I mean – I'm not an expert on, you know, gain of function. It sounds risky to me, but maybe there's circumstances where certain people doing it in a very responsible way with lots of safety, maybe it does help cure things that we, you know, and I'm willing to listen to that argument. But the idea that a place like China, where they murder tens of thousands of people of their own country on a monthly basis, um, where they, you know, and all, and safety doesn't matter to them, as evidenced by the safety score they've received. Um, I have no idea why we want to encourage that and fund it and uh, be a part of that. And yet, Dr. Fauci was, which tells you, Dr. Fauci is not very good at what he does. But of course, that at this point, we kind of know that every single thing he's ever managed, he screwed up. Whether it was the uh, original aid stuff, he's admitted, and others have pointed out that he bungled that, and it cost tens of thousands of lives. On down the line, they com- consistently bungled things. And the answer is because Dr. Fauci is a fake scientist. He's got an MD. I understand that. But he, if you listen to him talk, he doesn't talk like a scientist. He talks like a political scientist. This is a guy who's a government bureaucrat, and he's good at being a government bureaucrat. He's not very good at science. And and like I said, I've been more right on issues about the on the science questions than he has been. And I'm not a scientist. I just read what scientists say, and I um, you know yeah. follow the science. And so this is a guy who technically is a scientist, not really, but he wears a white lab coat, so you know. But bottom line is, he's horrible at what he does because I'm a lawyer who reads science and know more about this and was able to figure out where things were months ago. I, I could tell you months ago that, that masks had very limited impact and weren't that important. I could tell you months ago most of the things the CDC has admitted to in the last three weeks. And it wasn't because I'm brilliant. It's because I read what scientists were saying. And yeah, by I the mean, way, I... these are the same people that the social media wouldn't allow to uh, – to speak and that the uh, mainstream media boycotted and said we couldn't hear them. Well, this is the yeah. I mean, the, the point to me because it I mean, the because I, it seems that the, even now that we're accepting the fact that this could be a distinct possibility, we'll never find out for certain for a simple reason. The Chinese are not going to let us find out for certain. I mean that's uh, I mean that's kind of right where we're at. Yeah, they're going to basically make it clear. We're not going to let you know the secrets of of this. So uh, we're not going to get that kind of investigation. But it does speak to the point where uh, even as early as March of this year, where the WHO went in and basically whitewashed this whole thing, uh, this investigation. And they and if you look at the people who were involved in that research for saying that the China, this was natural events or all people, many of whom had interest in the laboratory where they basically helped were involved in it or fund or part of the funding operation of it. And, and to me, this is a big story 
in so many ways. The first story is if the Chinese can't control their laboratory, we should be worried because the next virus escapes. May not be even, it may right. be even worse. The second aspect, yeah. are they actually doing biological warfare and allowing things to escape? That was the other right. aspect. Now, that's I a mean, fair question. I mean, we don't know what if it was, you know, it seems likely that it was just a mistake. Um, that's not okay. I'm not saying that to absolve them. That just, you know, that demonstrates the danger of having a regime that doesn't care about human life, uh, you know, doing this kind of research. But, uh, but there, it doesn't – it's actually entirely possible because if you look, um, they had a few if, – if they could have a, a few more uh, pandemics like that occur over the next decade or two, that will help them achieve their goal of, domin- of world domination, and, and they won't have to drop any bombs or fight any wars to do it. So you have to ask yourself, it's at least possible. I'm not saying I have evidence of it. All I'm saying is they clearly have motive. And when yeah. you're trying to solve a crime, you look at and ask yourself, who had motive to do this? And start looking at them most closely first, and then see yeah. what you find. Well, absolutely. And uh, to me, that's the other aspect of the fun. Because to me, when I look, like I say, when I view this entire sequence, is like I say, the fact that. These are uh, you know, that this is a pot, these are possibilities where you have the largest you know one of the largest economies and and you're allowing and they can't control viruses and this by the way it's not doing it just seems like there've been a lot of viruses coming out of China over the past several years to begin with so uh, you know it, it, if I'm a policymaker I'd be thinking well this is not good but we don't have, I mean. This is the other aspect. I don't hear anybody in media saying, you know what, this is an issue. This is a problem. It's not just, hey, we're thinking about, you know, that we ought to be investigated. That if true, we're talking a different dynamics where you have a country that's literally sitting on dangerous viruses and they can't keep them in the laboratory. You, know, you, you would think that that would be enough. All right. Yeah, you're exactly right. An an honest failure here is actually very problematic. It's in no way uh, an absolution or, you know, it's not good news. And um, and it could be worse than that. But even if it's not, that's bad enough. It's bad enough. Yeah. So what I'm going to do, we're going to stop right here. This is the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, I want to thank George Lane for coming on at the last minute. Uh, real quick, George, how's the move going? I know you're helping a friend of yours move, so yeah. we're going to do that. So how's that move? No, that, that went well. Okay. I didn't throw my back well, out, so it was a success. <laughs> a success. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you very much for being on the show. Don't forget tomorrow night, the Bachelor's on the Bachelor News Radio Network, the Donaldson Files, followed by the Dr. Larry Resistance Hour with Tom. And we're saying good night on the from the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network.
want to welcome everyone to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we know everyone could be doing many other things, but you decided to take the time to tune in to one of the hottest podcast shows where we talk about topics that are related to the minority community and policing. And so we've got a, a, another great topic that we're going to be talking with uh, our listeners about, um, and it's going to be related to the uh, the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa uh, Race Massacre. So without further ado, I need to bring on and introduce my esteemed host of the show that goes by the name of Chief Swag. How you doing today, brother? What's going on, brother? I'll tell you what, man. I, I will... I'll be proud to be the co-host with you today, man, to talk about such a important part of our of Black history. So we're, history. We're co-host. Yeah. I'm a co-host today. I'm a co-host. Today. <laughs> All right. Well, I tell you what. You know, I I am uh, excited about this topic uh, to talk about uh, a part of history, Keith, that I tell you uh, has has for the most part been kind of swept as they say, swept under the rug, under the carpet. Uh, and and I'll share something with you briefly, Keith. Uh, you know, I, when I was uh, finishing up my degree, I uh, had a class on American history, um, and the professor uh, sent me a, a message back saying that my paper was, was full of fabrications that he doesn't, see where any of this stuff actually took place in Tulsa. Uh, just, I mean, and basically said, hey, you need to rewrite your paper. If not, I'm going to give you an F. And so I, I, I basically had to share with him a lot of things that, it, it surprisingly, Keith, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you the professor, you got the master's, uh, and you the history teacher, but you don't have any knowledge, real knowledge of the Tulsa uh, race massacre. And I, and I and I believe from uh, from uh, perspective of, of of white individuals, it, it's just a part of history that they just care not to even really acknowledge. I, and I'll so, tell you, I think, yeah, and, and you know what, that's that's a shame, man, that, that you have a professor that would tell you that you are lying, that you would take a chance on uh, being discredited and, and taking a chance on not graduating to tell you to go back and rewrite a paper that you're trying that's factual. And yeah. and you know, really and truly, man, that's 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 only one massacre uh during this during that era uh that occurred, you know, here in Arkansas, Elaine, Arkansas. Elaine, uh, yep, exactly. Massacre. And, and so there's others throughout the throughout history uh, that have occurred in, in, in towns like Ferguson I'm sorry, not Ferguson, but Stanford, uh, Florida, and, uh, and and other places. So you know, this is this is history, man. You know, we we have to. We're gonna if we're gonna learn, we have to be honest about things that have occurred. Uh, we we can't just try to hide that stuff. So that's very uh, discouraging, disheartening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, Keith, here in Oklahoma, uh, the governor. Uh, uh, recently signed a bill limiting uh, public education and higher education from talking about 
uh, race in the classroom and not just specifically the Tulsa race massacre, uh, but uh, these topics, they did not want, they do not want these topics to be talked about amongst uh, black children, uh, Native Americans, Latinos, whites. Uh, they just feel that this is a topic that uh, in 2021 and, and moving forward in history that should not be brought up and should not be talked about. And so um, the governor set on the Tulsa Race Ride uh, Commission. Uh, the, uh, he was uh, removed from that commission, or he actually took himself away from that commission under some pressure. So Oklahoma is, is uh, and, and specifically Tulsa, uh, after a century of the, of the race massacre, uh, Tulsa is, uh, has to confront uh, the, the bloody past. It's almost kind of like the, the bloody Sunday that took place in, in Selma. But here in Tulsa, Keith, you know, over a thousand and some business were destroyed, uh, which was called Black Wall Street. Over, over 300 people were, were murdered. They weren't killed. They were murdered by uh, an angry mob, and, and, and I'll share this with our listeners, Keith, and as we go along, hopefully, if you have not heard of the Tulsa Race Massacre, uh, please search uh, in Google Tulsa Race Massacre and see the images. Uh, I think a lot of people, I know, Keith, when I was growing up in, in, uh, in school, I never heard of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Uh, and, and so, I, and a lot of other people I've talked to around, uh, not just in Oklahoma, New Mexico, where I'm from, but Texas, a lot of people are not really aware of the Tulsa massacre. Well, you know, you know, Virgil, I think the thing that gets me the most, man, is that, you know, in, in listening to what Stitt said and, and uh, what uh, several governors have said is that they don't want it to seem as though you have one uh uh, race of or, or ethnicity uh, thinking that another ethnicity is 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 bad and blaming mm-hmm. one ethnicity yeah. for the um, horror that occurred. So, but history is history. You, you can't it hide is. history, man. And so that's that's yeah. a shame that you have one person who can sign a piece of paper and basically wipe out history and say that. I'm going to protect a certain group of people who look like me because I don't want people to think bad uh, based on actual facts that occurred. Yeah, yeah, it, and that's so true, Keith. And, and you know, and, and one of the things that we're going to get into in this topic is how law enforcement failed to protect the, the, the thousands of Tulsa's uh, black residents from this mob and the fact that, you know, I think a lot of people, if you don't know about the Tulsa Massacre, uh, this actually started from an allegation that a young man um, assaulted a white lady in an elevator. And to it, this it goes day, back to similar to similar to Emmett Till. Only thing Emmett Till yeah. wasn't mm-hmm. was an allegation wasn't wasn't physical. His was basically a gesture. Um, let yeah. me say this real quick, Virgil. You know, when, when, when Stitt signed that, what's the difference between perjury? We know that perjury is when you lie inside, inside something. So what's the difference between him signing that document 
that's false than actually standing up lying. What's the difference? Yeah. No, no, no. Now, I mean, again, you know, you you don't want your children or other children to hear about things that took place in, ni- in, in 1921 that murdered 300 black people and just destroyed uh, uh, the, the, you know, Tulsa's Black Wall Street. And uh, and so you just you want to wipe it away from history. You know it it exists, but you don't want young people to learn any more about history. So history doesn't repeat itself. And so that that's one of the the sad things about uh, this this law that was signed. And, uh, and and there's a lot of people that are a lot of educators. A lot of educators have came out against this new piece of legislation, and they've been pretty vocal about it. Even uh, the two largest school districts in Oklahoma, Tulsa Public Schools as well as Oklahoma City Public Schools have came out. Their superintendents have came out against uh, the governor signing this bill. So, Keith, um, there's a lot uh, of of history that uh, people just want to ignore and forget about. But, you know, hey, we're getting ready to come up on our first break, Keith, and I want to remind our listeners that uh, if this is your first time listening to the show, the call-in number to the show is 646-929-0130. And please go to our Facebook page and follow us, like us uh, on Facebook at You and the Law One. And uh, you can follow us on Instagram at You uh, underscore and the Law. And you can follow us on Twitter at You and the Law One. So, Keith, we're going to take this break, man. We're going to come back and get into this topic about the Tulsa Race Massacre. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Dermarest, the psoriasis solution, asks, What's complete freedom? For me, it's an open road with the top down. It's my bare arms getting warmed by the sun. It's my bare arms without a trace of psoriasis. Complete freedom, brought to you by the complete relief of Dermarest psoriasis. Unlike brands which only relieve itching and inflammation, Dermarest psoriasis also removes the embarrassing scales, allowing healthy skin to grow. Healthy skin? That's complete freedom. Dermarest, the psoriasis solution. Welcome back to you and the law on the Bachelor News uh, Radio Network, WCOM, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and of course, um, IBM TV, soon to come. Uh, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with Chief Keith Humphrey and Chief Virgil Green, uh, talking about the horrible massacre <clears throat> in, in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, back in 1921. Uh, coming up on the 100th anniversary of this. Uh, guys, have a comment, and then I had a, a question. I can give you the question. I'll give you the comment first. Um, my comment to you is uh, to what uh, basically you guys were alluding to going into the break, and that is 
people don't want to, namely black people don't want to deal with pain, that kind of pain. As I've said on your show and others in the past, um, we're more uncomfortable talking about race and things of this nature than other races. And it happened to us, Black Wall Street, the deaths, the, the businesses torn down. Um, we've seen this in Rosewood in Florida uh, and other mm-hmm. places across the country. So um, until we come to grips with our own history, as painful as it is, and, and talk about it and champion it in a way that's going to bring some forth of uh, uh, justice, then it'll be like this. Uh, we did get a question from Sarah uh, in uh, New Mexico who asked, is there any museum there in Tulsa regarding this, similar to the Jews with the Holocaust and certainly the African-American Museum um, in D.C.? Well, and that's a great question, Sarah. And, and this, there is a museum that is going to be opening or has or may already be open that uh, is going to uh, go through the whole history of Greenwood, go through the history of, of Tulsa Wall Street. Um, it's, it's, you know, and I have to go back, uh, L.A., into our listeners. Uh, if everybody remember the Oklahoma City bombing that took place at the uh, federal building, uh, some years after the, 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 that horrible uh, incident that took place, uh, there was a, um, a memorial was built. There's a museum that was built, um, and that was just probably within a decade after the uh, the bombing of the federal building here in Oklahoma City. So, almost 100 years later, uh, now there is a museum that's being opened to recognize uh, and and for people can. Un- can get more information about what took place in Greenwood and what took place with the Tulsa massacre. So, and I'll say this, uh, L.A., to listen, I think the Tulsa community have been very, very vocal, very outspoken uh, with the history of what took place in Greenwood. Uh, and, I, and, and, I believe, and I'm going to say that they have made this a point with the officials in Tulsa, uh, they haven't let it just die, and and so they have they have stayed on top of this. Those ancestors of, of people that were killed and those who survived uh, to make sure that uh, Tulsa did something to recognize uh, the lives that were lost and the property that were lost. And I think you know when you go back and you look at images, uh, LA and our listeners, I think you know and Keith. You know, you see streetcars driving down the street. You see just a uh, a vibrant uh, community that is thriving. And, you know, there's uh, in Oklahoma, there's a handful of black communities, and uh, one of those black communities I served in as a police chief, uh, which is about 65 miles south of, of Tulsa, uh, another historical black community, and then in that county, you know, Fusky County, they have some history that people don't want to talk about. And so um, there's just a lot of things that 
that have taken place that um, uh, people just want to ignore the the past. But uh, if if you if you are listening, if you even get a chance to go to Tulsa, uh, definitely go to this museum that's in the Greenwood uh, district. And this weekend, coming up Monday, and, and let me say this, Keith, you know, for for 12 years I served as police chief in Bowley, Oklahoma, which is an historical black community, and we have a there's a rodeo every Memorial Day weekend. I had no idea until recently that this massacre actually took place on that Memorial Day weekend, May the 31st, going into to June the 1st. And so, um, it, it and it was never it it has never really been talked about even in this black community in Bowley, Oklahoma, that's some sixty five miles north of us, that there was a massacre being that took place on a day that people are uh, celebrating Memorial Day weekend. Hey, Chief uh, Humphrey, if I could just ask you um, uh, just to add to that, you know. When the Oklahoma City bombing took place, the excuse is that, and I, I'm not, I mean no disrespect into people who want to have a memorial for people who died, especially in the massive numbers of that, but the excuse was it was a federal building, so okay, the feds get involved. Nobody really did anything for Rosewood. Uh, you have the limitations in Tulsa, albeit that people want something bigger there in terms of bringing forth the, the understanding and recognition. Um, but let, with all due respect to our Jewish friends, brothers and sisters, let somebody say the Holocaust never happened and people will go in and uprage and out, be outraged. And they, they have everything. So I, I, speaking for me, I think it comes back to who we are as a people. You know, they gave us the black, the, the African American Museum because they gave us Dr. King. And of course on Dr. King Day, you get all the, uh, you know, uh, free at last and the, 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 the nice speeches, but if you go to the African American Museum, they don't have, uh, in my opinion, the, the, the horrific things going back to the Middle Passage uh, until even up to modern day times. They don't have all that stuff. They have a lot of, you know, black people in history, the inventions and things of that nature. They have some, some horrific stuff in there, but I don't think uh, not enough because, again, it goes back to the optics. If, if it's deemed a dangerous or upsetting or, you know, uh, militant in any shape or form in this country, and the, anything black, then they, they pull back. They won't let us have it, or we won't. They'll fight us to get it. Um, and that's just my two cents on the Chief Humphrey. Yeah, I think sometimes, man, things are, things are, things are, are passed or approved to appease, uh, to appease African Americans. Uh, you know, we'll give, we'll give you this, uh, and don't ask for anything else. Or we'll do this. We will, uh, we'll we'll make a deal with you uh, if you do this. But you know, if you're going to talk about African American history, you got to talk about it all. You got to talk about from the first time, uh, first day when when we were brought over from Africa, and and you know, and sold, and and and, and the tragedies that happened to the how families were separated. You know, I think a lot of times we as a whole, not as a whole, but there are some of us that, that want to forget, that want to forget about those things that happened. But you know what? Think about this, L.A. and Bergland, to the listeners. Uh, if, if those things had not happened, 
and you would not have had uh, massacres like Tulsa and Rosewood uh, and, and you know, Emmett Till. Uh, none of us would be where we are today. And so we do owe, uh, we have the uh, responsibility to, to honor and to remember those things because, because you know what? Um, it's somewhere in this United States, some of that same stuff is taking place that we'll never know about as of right now, in current day. It may not be in that form, but someone uh, is being um, segregated again. Someone is being, uh, uh, you know, it might not be physical, uh, but someone is being emotionally uh, attacked uh, to, the, to the level of it's, it's going to ruin them and, and make them question uh, who they are, our, our culture, our heritage. Um, but the, I'm going back to what you said, what you said, Virgil. Man, how can somebody tell you? This is a history professor. I mean, how can somebody yeah. tell you this didn't happen? He just outright called you a liar, man. He just outright yeah. called yeah. you a liar, basically said that your your concerns about what happened in our history is not is not a is not valid. I mean, it, it, yeah. just minimize, it just minimize, you know. What yeah. happened to us, man? Come on, dude. You know, that, that right there is disturbing. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there are accounts that there were bombs that were dropped uh, in Greenwood. And, you know, he basically said, you know, where did you get that from? And I cited it where I got that information from. Uh, it, it wasn't from military planes. It was from from private planes. People were, were dropping, you know, whether it be Molotov cocktails or whatever it was, they, they, it was uh, said that there were bombs that were dropped uh, in this Greenwood during the 18 hours of massacre that was going on. And so, you know, I pointed out some things, and I think, he, you know, I know he got pretty offended by it. And, and I basically told him, coming from a black man, you know, you, you, you don't live in Oklahoma. I'm not from Oklahoma, but I've talked to people that are from Tulsa. You know, and and I've had family that, that lives in Tulsa, and uh, but it, it was just really, uh, and I became really aware, Keith, that this uh, gentleman did not want to fully acknowledge that these things took place, and that there were white people who were responsible for this here, and it wasn't no, something no, no, that Virgil, I can't let you. I can't let you go there. I can't. I can't let you. I can't let you let him off that easy. What you had is somebody <laughs> who hadn't taken the time to learn about it. And bottom line is, you were coming in uh, uprooting him. You were coming in, and, yeah. and, and he took it as you were thinking you were smarter than him. He couldn't. He couldn't relate. He didn't have any information on that. He couldn't have a competent discussion with you. So at the end of the day, I'm going to make you look like you don't know what you're talking about. So no, exactly, it's no pad. Yeah. He gets no pass yeah. on that. No, oh, he gets oh, no pass. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, right. and, I, and I did, and I did yeah. give him a pass. And, 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 you know, and what was another surprising uh, aspect of that, Keith, was uh, almost, almost 100% of the class had not, was not aware. And we're talking about grown adults. We're not talking about teenagers. We're talking, you know, people in their 50s and, you know, and, and, a, and older had never heard of the Tulsa massacre, and it, well, and, and so I mean, that lets you know. 
Yeah, Elaine Arkansas. How many Elaine people have heard of Elaine Arkansas? Yeah, How exactly. many people have heard of the Green? How many people have heard uh, of the Green Book? Yeah, and and, and just like you know, LA, you know, Rosewood, you know, uh, there's just there is so much part of Black history that has been just wiped away. But one of the things that 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 we are are getting into, Keith, is the fact that law enforcement is supposed to be the one who's supposed to protect and serve. And here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. law enforcement did not even exist that day, even though they tried to prevent the mob from coming into the courthouse, taking this young man, and they wanted to take him and so they could take him and lynch him and hang him. But the sheriff did not allow that to happen. But, Keith, we're coming up on uh, taking our break, man, but this is a, a great topic that we're talking about. A century after the Tulsa massacre, Tulsa confronts its bloody past and how law enforcement failed to protect the black residents of, of Tulsa, Oklahoma. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. May I help you? Yeah, it's just cold. My sinuses feel like they're going to explode. Sudafed, aisle five. My allergies have my sinuses all stuffed up. Sudafed, aisle five. Tell the man what's wrong. My sinuses. Sudafed, aisle five. Sinus misery? Get Sudafed. Nothing stronger at relieving even your worst sinus symptoms. Not even a prescription. This could just... Sudafed, aisle five. Sudafed, prescription strength sinus relief. Based on 24-hour dose of pseudoephedrine. to the uh, Unit Law show. Talk to law enforcement, uh, Real Talk, Chief Chief Humphrey and Chief Virgil Green, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Big shout out to Myrna, always listening, also others on the line, and looks like folks in Alabama, some other places, I recognize the um, recognize the area codes. Uh, just one note, if you have a question or a comment, I will be screening the calls. You can uh, go live. You can tell me what you want to say. And uh, she would be happy to, to answer those questions for you on such an such a, uh, important topic. I will say, guys, um, again, comment question real quick. First thing is um, sometimes, you know, ignorance, like you said, Chief Humphrey, is, is not a real rationale. Some people have their own agenda. Some people, some of us have a self-hate game. We don't like being black. We're ashamed to be black. I mean, so I'm, I'm just going to keep the 100. And so yet that guy that you were talking about, uh, Chief Crane, could fit into those categories. Remember, the devil knows information, too. That don't make it right. Um, that's mm-hmm. my two cents. Um, now, the other, uh, I got an email from someone that asked, because you went to the break talking about law enforcement, and they didn't really do anything. Was there any black law enforcement back then that was in place, guys, and then they were told to stand down, or was there any, to your knowledge, uh, any at all? 
So, and, 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 and through my uh, research and looking into uh, this topic of talking about the where was law enforcement uh, during the Tulsa race massacre, there there were uh, I made a handful of, of black law enforcement uh, in Tulsa in 1921, uh, but when you only have uh, a handful. Uh, you are not able to uh, do the things that you want to do to protect your community. And so, uh, but Tulsa has has um, has always had a, a, since the Tulsa race massacre, there's been a, a divide between uh, the black residents in Tulsa uh, and the white residents in Tulsa. And uh, even within the, the, the police department, uh, the, uh, Keith uh, even uh, can speak on this as well. Uh, some several a uh, couple decades ago, uh, several a group of black police officers sued the uh, the Tulsa Police Department for uh, discrimin- discriminatory practices and hiring and, and promotions. Um, and uh, so there has not been a, a very good relationship that the city of Tulsa has had with the black community. Uh, even though the former police chief, uh, Jordan, he came out and he uh, acknowledged the, how the uh, Tulsa Police Department failed to, to serve and protect the black residents, uh, but that just was, was lip service. Uh, you know, after decades and decades and decades, uh, the Tulsa Police Department, the Tulsa County Sheriff Department never even acknowledged uh how they failed to protect uh the citizens of of greenwood and so um it, it's just uh and we go back to why the why law enforcement does not understand that there is such a distrust between the black community and law enforcement because when you look at just the the topic that we're talking about in 1921 how police fail to protect thousands of, of, of black residents. Um, and then you look at other places around the country, you know, Elaine, Arkansas, you know, Florida, uh, other other places that have had, other states that have had, you know, massacres of, of black residents. And law enforcement has always been at the forefront of being involved with it. And in Tulsa, guys, there were uh, police officers, deputies, uh, police officers who were a part of the KKK. And so how is it that you're going to ask them to serve and protect when on the other side they're walking around with these hooded sheets on? And there is actually pictures of the KKK walking around in Greenwood with these, this everybody knows is the symbol of the KKK. And so when you well, have, go ahead. Well, Mark, well, well, well very good. Uh, uh, it, was, it was declared martial law. Think about this now. When you yeah, it was declared martial law. Anybody could be a police officer. Anybody could be a police officer. And especially if you're talking about sheriff, anybody could carry a gun and wear a badge. 
And a lot of the people yeah. that were hired back then is because they basically swore to do things that were in violation of law, violating people's civil rights and things like that. So with that being said, um, why would you? Why, why would you? When you don't believe, when you believe everything you say is right and you believe that you're actually upholding the law and that people are doing something wrong, you just got to look at what was on the books. Look at the laws that were on the books. Look at the look at look at the things that were happening. Look at the things that people were allowed to do. So if if it's against the law, uh, if interracial marriage is against the law, if riding at the front of the bus is against the law, if, if, if going to certain stores and things were in the were in the law uh, was against the law, why would you? Why would you? Why would you? And how could you uphold the law? I mean, you yeah. basically you think you you think you're doing the right thing because you are upholding the laws that were on the books at that time. It was not against the law to beat someone up that didn't look like you. So you you got to understand that that was that was just that was the law. They truly believed it was against the law. I mean, it was it was the law. Think about why the Klan was formed. Think about the the purpose mm-hmm. of the Klan and what the Klan did. So, I mean, you, you're talking about. You're talking about people who thought that they were doing what they were supposed to do because they were, that was the law. And I'm, okay, I'm more, you know, when you think that you, when you dehumanize people, why wouldn't you feel bad? Why wouldn't you try to do something right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, Keith, one of the things that uh, uh, I was talking with uh, a good friend of ours earlier was uh you know Tulsa has you know we talk about the racial injustice in Tulsa and we talk about this massacre and we talk about how law enforcement was involved how they failed to protect and then we look at J Edgar Hoover who has a uh, the FBI building that is named after him and how it is well known that how he felt about black people, black men, especially Martin Luther King, Megar Evers, uh, Malcolm X, uh, how the FBI uh, did this covert stuff uh, with uh, with these civil rights leaders. And so, but there's never been a conversation about renaming the J. Edgar Hoover Building. And but here was a man who was an image of race racist within the federal government, within the largest federal government agency in the United States. But nobody wants to say we need to change that name because he has a bad image in law enforcement. Um and and so when we talk about the Tulsa uh race rides it 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 goes back to the uh where were where was law enforcement they failed to protect all these uh thousands of 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 residents yeah in those 18 hours and then after that and so uh it's just tragic that uh we have here it is coming up on 100 years later and there are still situations that happen where law enforcement is failing, has failed to protect the rights of black men and women. And then when 
black people have these conversations, those in the in the white community in in law enforcement have an issue when you talk about racial injustice, uh, and it's like that's not something that we should really be talking about, and so uh, it, we really need to uh, acknowledge history. We really, really need to teach this part of history, whether you're in Oklahoma, whether you're in Texas, New Mexico, Alabama, wherever. Uh, this is something that we really need to talk about and 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 really uh, uh, because, again, people will say, so history doesn't repeat itself. Uh, but just like today is the one, you know, one-year anniversary of George Floyd and the George Floyd criminal justice bill, they're still having this debate about passing meaningful uh, criminal justice reform. And, and just let this sink in. It's been probably close to 55, 57 years that there's been any real meaningful criminal justice reform that's been passed. And so what does that say about the law enforcement industry when it's been over 50-something years that there hasn't been any serious criminal justice reform uh, to, uh, to address the racial injustice that occurs in our communities? Uh, and, you know, we, we talk about George Floyd. We can talk about... A recent incident that took place uh, uh LA as you're aware in North Carolina that now those officers who uh have they won't face any kind of charges but the FBI or I mean the uh Department of Justice is investigating as well as the FBI I believe so uh that that's why you want to see that there's some progress that race relations will be better between the black community and the police. And but you continue to see incidents that happen in North Carolina. Uh you continue to see incidents uh that occur in other communities across the country and we have to ask ourselves when will law enforcement get it right? Uh and yeah there's one bad apple but there again, uh, that one bad apple sheds a, a real negative uh, light on law enforcement no matter where you're at. Uh, and so there's a lot of things that really need to be done. But we want to remind you, if you're just now tuning into the show, that uh, we're talking about the a century after the, the, the race massacre uh, Tulsa confronts its bloody past, and where was law enforcement, how they failed to protect the, the black residents of, of, of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, But if you miss any parts of this show, uh, we want to remind you that you can go to the thebachelornews.airtime.com. You can go to thebachelornews.airtime.pro and uh, uh, listen to the rebroadcast show of You and the Law. Um, And this is, again, this is a great topic. If you've never heard about the Tulsa Race Massacre, please um, look this uh, topic up and, and, and read about this history 
that the uh, state of Oklahoma is going to be um, uh, celebrating this Memorial Day weekend. But we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back. We're going to get back into this important topic of the Tulsa Race Massacre uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Do you suffer from chronic CFED or can't focus energy drain? Try over-the-counter Vibrant. One tablet contains the same caffeine as a cup of coffee, but without the calories or coffee breath. Vibrant. Caffeine, not coffee. Taking Vibrant may result in increased productivity and decreased dread in setting alarms. Unexpected enjoyment of the graveyard shift has been associated with Vibrant. Vibrant may be a better budget option than drinking coffee. It may also decrease the urge to doze off, skip work, or exhibit signs of slacking. All jokes aside, always read the label, take only as directed, and limit caffeine as it may cause real side effects. Not for children under age 12. IBM TV. Um, I want to share this with you, Chief Green, and your your audience. That um, well, first, you know, someone sent me an email. Um, his name is Joe, and it's only Joe out of West Virginia. Um, he said that uh, uh, first, we need to make sure we don't call it a Tulsa riot. To your point, it was a massacre. Um, a riot is something that's sort of just getting out of hand. This was premeditated based on everything, all the lies that started it all. Um, number two, he said the official count was about 36 deaths, but he said historians and scientists who d- dug up the, the bodies and did some DNA said it could be as high as 300 deaths. Um, and he went on to say a lot of people, as to your point, don't know, didn't know about this up until recently where um, the movie Watchmen came out. Uh, and, of course, Oprah Winfrey's coming out with a, a movie, um, a drama on it from Tulsa, I think, back then to Tulsa now, some of the things that they're trying to do, like you mentioned, some of the people that live there. Uh, but he also mentioned that some of the um, blacks that were left, Chief, were f- fearful to come out for fear of their lives, for fear of retaliation. And so, yeah, and fear of retaliation from law enforcement. So, yeah, those laws were on the books because that was the law of the land. But that didn't mean you had to participate in it, in it either. Um, so that's what Joe from uh, West Virginia pointed out. Oh, well, and we definitely want to thank Joe from West Virginia for tuning in and listening to you and the law. Uh, and and uh, as always, uh, uh, listen to us every week and uh, for uh, some great topics that we have with you all about policing and, and the minority community. But you know, I want to, you know, share this, Keith, in L.A. with with our listeners. Um, we, we're talking about Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we're talking about this 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 massacre that's coming up uh, on 100 years come May the 31st. Uh, it, but I want to go back to just how 
law enforcement has failed to protect black men and women. I'm going to go back to an incident that took place in Okima, Oklahoma, which is about uh, 65 miles uh, south of Tulsa. There was an incident that happened where a uh, this uh, uh, the father was accused of stealing some horses or cows or whatever. The sheriff goes out to the to this home in uh, in which was in in, uh, in Ofusky County in, in Payton, Oklahoma, and uh, they get into a confrontation and the the the, the father shoots and kills the the, the deputy. And uh, so they arrest him, take him to the Ofusky County Jail. Um, several, a uh, couple hours later or a day later, uh, a mob of white men goes back to the home and they take the, the wife and the, the son and they take them uh, to a bridge which, which runs over the Canadian uh, uh, Canadian River in, in Okima and they hang the mother and the son and there are pictures of white men, white families, white children uh, just watching as they hung the mother and son o- over a bridge over this river but law enforcement did, didn't do anything to protect the mother and the son. And even though the father was accused of killing uh, or shooting the deputy, uh, and there's some questions as to how that took place, there was, again, a fail to uh, to protect. And so we, we know these things happened in 1921, Keith, but when you look at the things that have happened in, in 2020, uh, going back to Eric Gardner, going back to Trayvon, going back to Michael Brett, all these black men and women, law enforcement has failed to protect their basic rights as a citizen. And so people wonder why we have, why there's so much distrust in this profession that you and I care so much about. And uh, in, in, the simple fact that law enforcement has failed to acknowledge um, the, the things that they have been involved with. So, Keith, I know I've been a little long-winded, but, you know, I, uh, I'll i let you j- jump in and chime in. Well, no, you know, uh, uh, the gentleman that called in earlier, he's absolutely right. It wasn't a riot. Uh, uh, it, was a, it was a massacre. And, we don't know how many people lost their lives. Uh, it, it Correct. Estimated. It could have been many, many more than that. And so we really don't know. The, the, the thing about it is, is that you've got to understand, and I've said this, uh, the, the platform that, that law, American law enforcement was founded. Uh, you look at the history of it. You look at the highwaymen, the Klan, the slave patrols. Uh, when you're seen as inferior, uh, when you're seen as the fact that you don't have the same rights as someone else, well, why wouldn't you protect someone? Uh, and then, uh, you're right, uh, it, it was an intimidation factor. Uh, you, you were, even if, even if you 
did have someone who may have been um, willing to protect you, uh, that person, and I'm talking about maybe a, a sheriff who was white, um, that was willing to uh, protect you, uh, then their lives became in danger because they were intimidated and they were called names. Um, listen, you're absolutely right. And, and, and L.A. brought up a good point in the listener. Uh, the, the way that, that the, the, there was no um, respect, uh, bodies were dumped. Uh, bodies were dumped in mass graves. Bodies were uh, uh, just disrespected and, and, and mutilated. Uh, that's why mass graves. That that's those are things that occurred, and and those are things that our that our that our kids and and, and people who who are history buffs. Those are things that we should continue to talk about, and 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 history does repeat itself. And well. There was a statement about history repeating itself, and I can't remember the exact. It was a minister that, that gave a, a comment about history repeating itself. But, but man, why would you not want to talk about it? Man, those, those individuals were tortured, and and why you, why would you not honor them? Um, and I'll say this again. Uh, if it had not been for incidents like Tulsa, um, let me back up. Do you realize that Harlem and Tulsa were some of the few um, cities that had um, stockbrokers, African-American stockbrokers, banks, realtors, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and then there were others. But you said something earlier about Oklahoma. Oklahoma at one point had the most concentrated area, concentrated areas of African-Americans, so more, Af- one, uh, more African-American cities in the nation at one point. Uh, a yeah. lot of people don't realize that, but 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 I, I will tell you this, man. I, I I don't I don't see how we can live with that without not not talking about it, and why museums and parks and things have only been in existence. There's only been a park memorial um, for for 20 years. I mean, mm-hmm. really? Come on now. I mean, yeah. People were massacred, man. And, and you yeah. and you disrespect their memory by you've got a vote on a park, you, you you've got a vote on can I talk about this? It, it's, it's very disheartening. Yeah, yeah, it is, Keith. And, I would think I too, guys. I would think too, guys. My final thoughts. I appreciate it um, because we have a history of people just thinking that. We never had any success in this country. It's important to talk about Tulsa because we were thriving. Like you, like you guys said, Oklahoma per capita, some of the, the, um, the richest and most um, successful people in the country, uh, Harlem and, and, and uh, parts of even North Carolina, Durham, and, and places like that. So it, from that standpoint, just to talk about the success and what happened when, you know, uh, the Europeans came in and, and felt jealous or whatever the case may be, whatever the reason they did their diabolical things that they did, um, took that all the way but at least if we're telling that story it does show we aren't we weren't all just sharecroppers all the time and and that kind of thing if, if that makes any sense yeah well and, and you know uh la just like he said you know greenwood the greenwood district uh in tulsa was considered one of the most affluent all black communities in the country and uh, when you say you know in the country you just look at how large 
New York uh, is, and, and you had Harlem. Uh, but Tulsa, which is nowhere near the size of, of New York and Harlem, it was that uh, that well-known by Booker T. Washington and other great uh, African-Americans uh, who came to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, just saw how businesses were thriving and the culture of, of African-Americans, what they were doing, not just in Tulsa, but in, in Bowley, Oklahoma, uh, Taft, Oklahoma, so many, uh, so many other black communities uh, that were really thriving in, in, the, uh, in the 20s and 30s. Um, and the fact that it was just Winwood, wiped away. Winwood, and, Oklahoma. Yeah, when, yeah. yeah. And, and Winwood. you know, Keith, and just recently, Keith, you know, uh, just within the last couple of months, they are still finding mass graves in the Greenwood area. And so, uh, and which, you know, it's just here it is coming up on 100 years later, and they're still discovering mass graves in the Greenwood district. And so, well, you know. Well, you know, you know, Virgil, I'll tell you, man, if you, you go back and, and you just kind of think about it, man, that, you know, 100 years may seem like a long time, but when you're at the half century mark, you know, like, like you, you and I are, man, that's not a long mm-hmm. time. You know, it comes right back to Civil Rights Act. That's not a long yeah. time, man. And, and, uh, no. and, and uh, so, you know, it, 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 it goes back to how much do people are we value uh, how much yeah. of our history you know it's so never be ashamed one of the things i, I tell young people uh, and especially when i go to the academy and i talk i tell them that there's not an ethnic group in this world that should ever be ashamed of their history whether it's good or bad if you did it you claim it and what you've done to correct it you know you can't just yeah. make it go away so you know yeah. the, the the fact the fact of it is that's how that's history. You know how yeah. do you, everybody wants to know how we got to where we are. How did how did uh, Greenwood get started? How did Harlem get yeah. started? You know mm-hmm. why did why do you have HBCUs? You know yeah. why why do you have well you got to know why. Um, yeah, exactly. You know and 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 so. But like the gentleman said earlier, you're absolutely right. It was a massacre, and we need to identify it as that. We, we, we can't sugarcoat. Yeah. And that's one thing I think you and I take pride on this show. We don't sugarcoat. We tell the truth. There's no offense. Uh, I don't think there's ever anything that, we, that we've ever lied about or we, that we've ever fabricated or we've ever embellished. Uh, the fact of this is history. And, and the thing about it is also, Virgil, and to the listeners, in today's dollars, that would have been almost $33 million. Exactly. $33 million yeah. worth of damage. Because um, you were talking $1.5 million in, I think, buildings and then other damages of $750,000. Um, yeah. That, that's, 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 that's a lot of money in, in today. So you will never repay yeah. the family, no. descendants of those individuals. You'll never. There's not enough money in the nation. To, to, to pay, you know. Yeah, and, and there's been and there's been talks, Keith, uh, about you know reparations to the ancestors of of those that were killed, uh, who were murdered in in uh, in the Greenwood area, 
And, you know, I'll share this with our listeners, Keith, this, as we're coming up on a couple of minutes before we have to end the show, which has been a, another great show, a, a, a great topic. Uh, several, uh, several, about a couple of weeks ago, uh, Viola Fletcher, she is the oldest living survivor of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Uh, she uh, spoke to, uh, to Congress at a hearing about the, the Tulsa Race Massacre and what she lived through as a seven-year-old child growing up in Greenwood. And so to, to hear somebody who is 107 years old uh, what she went through, what her family went through uh, in 1921, and as you stated, that's not that long ago. I mean, it's before our time, but here is a lady who was 107 years old, who is the oldest living survivor of the Tulsa Race Massacre. She is still able to tell her story about what took place that day. And so this weekend... Uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, that, was you, the, the, that wasn't before your time. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right. Uh, but, yeah, man, so this weekend, you know, we got the, the president, uh, vice president. I believe they're going to be in Tulsa Monday. There's a lot of events going on in Tulsa, Oklahoma this weekend. So uh, if you are near the, the Tulsa, Oklahoma area where you live in Arkansas, uh, you know, take a drive over to Tulsa. Uh, if you live out in Texas, wherever, uh, try to attend this historical event that is coming up on 100 years later uh, as uh, they talk about the um, what took place uh, Memorial Day weekend, um, May the 31st, 1921, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, but, Keith, this has been a, another great show. Uh, another great topic, and uh, we want to remind our listeners that uh, if you uh, miss any parts of this show, uh, definitely check out the rebroadcast show at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. That's thebachelornews.airtime.pro. And uh, uh, also uh, you can go to our Facebook page and like our Facebook page and follow us, and uh, information is always shared on on our Facebook and Instagram about uh, this topic and many other topics that, that we uh, talk with our listeners about every week. But it's uh, been a, a, a great show, and uh, we want to definitely thank all of you, our listeners, for uh, listening in. And for those of you who are uh, faithful listeners uh, in, in Arkansas and everywhere else around the country, we definitely thank you for allowing us to uh, talk to you about uh, things that matter between uh, the police and, and the black community. So tune in next week for another uh, great topic of you and the law. But my brother, Keith, and we will see you next week. And All right, brother, you take to, care to the listeners. Take care. Well, you've been listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. 